Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. And if you're looking for a seat, there's space in the back. There's chairs scattered across some of these tables. In just a moment, I'm going to kind of have us resort a little bit before we jump into fellowship time. So if you're thinking, is this where I have to stay the whole time? The answer is, is no. But if you want to open up your Bible to Romans chapter 5, let me just also say, kids, I'm so glad that you're in here worshiping with us today. Can I get some hand claps from the kids? Kids, can you hear me? Kids, I love that you're in here with us worshiping. I'm glad that you're in here. Anytime that you're in here, I'm thrilled that we get the chance to worship with you this morning. And so uh, open up to Romans 5. We're going to be in Romans 5.1 for just a few minutes as we wrap up three weeks in Romans 5.1. We'll spend the rest of the fall jumping into the depths of Romans 5 together. But let me, let me just kind of throw something out that might kind of just fry your brain for a second. All of us today, whether we got here 15 minutes early, 20 minutes early, or 30 minutes early, we, all of us, were late to worship. Did you know that? We were all late to worship today. Actually, every church in America, every church in Texas, every church in Dallas, doesn't matter if they got there two hours before the service time, everybody is running late to worship. Do you know why that is? I mean, when you think about it, when you were closing out your day yesterday, our brothers and sisters in Christ on the other side of the world were wrapping up their Sunday worship. And over the last 24 hours leading up to now, basically every Christian in the world outside of the Western Hemisphere has already worshipped. They've already gathered with the Lord. They've feasted at the Lord's Supper. They've sang hymns of praise to God. They've heard the word preached. You see, it's a strange irony that I know that God must laugh at. That when we consider that the church in America often sees themselves at the front of the church, but in reality we're running late to worship every Sunday. And in this strange irony, we get a glimpse of something that's astounding to us. The, the church of Jesus is an incredibly diverse family that shares one central unifying truth. That they believe Jesus Christ is Lord and there is no other. It's the fundamental reality of the Christian confession. It's the fundamental reality of our shared unity with people that we've never met before. That Jesus Christ is the only one who can provide the peace with God that we need and the righteousness of God that we lack. And this fall we're doing a very deep dive into Romans 5 because it's one of the most significant chapters in this letter that we're exploring over these years. And it's full of glorious gospel truth. In these last few weeks we've been unpacking Romans 5.1. And today we look at this phrase, through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's clear that in Romans 5 this phrase is of consequence for Paul because he uses it three times in this chapter. He used it in Romans 5.1, he says it again in 5.11, and then he uses it in chapter 5, verse 21. Each time he uses this phrase, it's to conclude a string of promises, as if to say all of these good things that I'm telling you, they only have really one source, there's really only one road, one way, and that is through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me read Romans 5.1, after I read it, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you're invited to respond, thanks be to God. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be to God. And what a great way of saying that. Thank you, Mr. Peak. Thanks be to God for his word. Let me hear, I want you to hear one crucial thing today. The source of righteousness, peace, and unity for the Christian is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The source of righteousness, peace, and unity is rooted in our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been looking at this over the last couple of weeks. We've explored that only the Lord Jesus can provide the righteousness we need. 
We cannot get the righteousness of God anywhere else. We desperately need this righteousness. We radically need this righteousness. And there's nowhere to get it but Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be justified by faith. It means to surrender ourselves in affirmation, affection, and allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ and to confess, you have what I need and I can't get it anywhere else but in you. That's what it means to seek righteousness. Why is the Lord Jesus the only place that we can get the righteousness we need? Well, because only the Lord Jesus could pay the debt of death that we owed. You see, we're born into this world unrighteous, broken by sin, owing a debt we can't pay, owing a debt of death. And the Lord Jesus Christ secures the righteousness we need by taking upon himself the unrighteousness that we're born with and giving in exchange by grace through faith the righteousness that he has by his divine nature. See, only the Lord Jesus could give us perfect obedience to God's law. We had failed to obey God's law before we even attempted it. In Adam, we had failed from the very start, and that failure was given to us as all of Adam's children. And so we're born into this world having already failed a law that we wouldn't have kept on our best day. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ, in his perfect obedience to the law, he secures a righteous standing before God that we can't get anywhere else. Having obeyed God perfectly, he takes upon himself all of our disobedience and gives us all of his obedience. See, having received righteousness is actually good news for trying to fellowship together. Do you know why? Because the one who has received the righteousness of God has nothing left to prove. They stand free from the judgment of the world. You can't give yourself in fellowship and receive fellowship if you are constantly trying to posture yourself to demonstrate to yourself and the world that you're worthy. Right? It's incredibly difficult to have meaningful relationships if you're constantly trying to play the political game or the social game to posture yourself in a way that will show the world that you're truly worthy of love. Well, then you will spend all of your time doing that and none of your time cultivating meaningful relationships. It requires a vulnerability that is rooted in having received righteousness that can never be taken away. You see, if we want to have meaningful fellowship together, if we want to practice that as a church family, then we'll have to be a group of people who say, God has already declared who I am in Jesus and nothing can change that. So I'm willing to give myself to you and to receive you without having to play this posture game in order to cultivate meaningful fellowship. If you want deep friendship, the place to start is the righteousness of God. If you want meaningful fellowship and community, the place to start is something that can never be taken away, which is the righteousness of God in Jesus. But it's not just that only the Lord Jesus can provide the righteousness we need. Only the Lord Jesus can provide the peace of, with God that we crave. This is what Paul said. We looked at this last week. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. We're born into this world at war with God. We're born craving peace with God, but we can't get it on our own terms. The Lord Jesus is able to secure peace with God on our behalf because he takes the judgment of God upon himself. He ends the war that we are born into with God. He ends that war by taking upon himself the war penalty. The penalty of all of our spiritual rebellion and spiritual terrorism. God himself and the Son of God, Jesus Christ, takes upon himself all of that judgment. And having been granted peace with God, having received peace with God in Jesus, we can now live peaceably with those who are different from us. At your table are people who are not like you. Even if they live in the same community, even if they may look like you, you have different stories, different experiences. I bet you might have different preferences. You might have different politics. You might have different incomes. You might have different investment strategies. You might have different preferences or shows you like to watch on Netflix. You might, you might believe the best fajitas are at Papacitos. 
And if you do, you're wrong. And it's okay that you're wrong, right? But you're wrong. Now, I can be in fellowship with you even though you're wrong about something of great consequence like fajitas and the best fajitas in Texas and in North Texas in particular. But we can do that because I've been granted peace with God. I no longer have to war with you, especially over silly things like the best fajitas in Dallas, right? You can ask me afterwards. I'll give you my opinion on that. I don't want to divide the church unnecessarily over that. We're born at war with God. We're born spiritual rebels and traitors, and only Jesus Christ has stepped in and borne the judgment and penalty for our rebellion. And having made peace with God on our behalf, we can now live peaceably with others around us, even if they're unlike us. Okay, last thing here for us. This is the phrase. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, where? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, only the Lord Jesus Christ could be our Lord. You see, we are different people. We aren't all alike. We have different stories, backgrounds, cultures, families, experiences. And yet all Christians, whether we are just meeting each other today or we've known each other for decades, all Christians find their fundamental unity in their shared Lord. Think about this. Paul, remember, is talking to a church, a church that is going through a little bit of division between Gentile and Jewish Christians. Paul himself stands at a very interesting intersection between a Gentile stream of thought and a Jewish stream of thought. Paul is a synthesizer, really, at the very beginning of his ministry, and he's writing to a church that's experiencing division. They're experiencing a bit of a power struggle at the church in Rome. And when he uses the phrase, our Lord, he doesn't say my Lord. He doesn't say your Lord, he says our Lord, because that's the proper way of talking about Christian unity. That we are unified together because we have taken up residence in our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. You see, Jesus is the king of a kingdom that is full of different folks. Show me another religion that is diverse as the Christian faith. You will not find it. Consider that Jesus Christ is the Lord, our Lord, who rules and reigns over a church of people made up of men and women and children around the world, a church that speaks countless languages, a church made up of artists, lawyers, accountants, nurses, plumbers, stay-at-home parents, teachers, bankers, marketers, electricians, flight attendants, service industry workers, people from every political persuasion, people in every life stage, children, teenagers, college, single, married, parents, grandparents, widowed. The church of God in Jesus Christ is, as a whole, the most diverse institution in the whole world, past, present, and future. And God has designed it to be exactly that way. And how can a church as global and historic and widespread be this diverse? Only because they share one essential, fundamental, radical claim, which is that Jesus Christ is Lord, Son of God and Savior, and there is no other. You may think, I could never be in a family with someone who thinks differently on me than on issue X. But in the global and historic body of Christ, odds are strong you are in a family with someone who thinks differently than you on issue X. But who shares one fundamental truth. That in spite of all of the differences, you could both stand on together, you could link arms with one another, and you may say, we might have a world of differences. But we both are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're there together. Is there better news for a fractured world than that? Let me tell you 
the fundamental question that stands at the foundation of our unity is what do we think about Jesus? What do we think about Jesus? The question that stands at the door of the Christian faith is what do you think about Jesus? Consider this. We are able to be a church that is radically inclusive because of a radically exclusive claim. The great hospitality and friendship and welcome of the Christian faith comes through one place and one place only. We have one radically exclusive claim. And it's countercultural, I'll tell you that. It's against the way of the world, I'll tell you that. But this one countercultural claim opens up the door to a kind of hospitality that you will find nowhere else in the world. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. That's a radically exclusive claim. But guess what? That radical exclusivity opens up the most radically inclusive claim. Anyone can come to God through Christ Jesus. There is only one way to God, and it is Jesus Christ. But who can come? Anyone. doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter maybe what some of the cultural beauties or brokenness is in your life or your background. It doesn't matter where you come from. If you come to God through Jesus Christ, then you have entered into the Christian church. We are all not the same, but we share the same unity as disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord, is fundamental. It is the tie that binds us together despite worlds of difference. Why? Because when we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, we receive a righteousness that frees us from judgment and a peace that frees us from division. When we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, we are confessing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has taken on himself the judgment of sin and that we are now at peace with God, no longer at war, free from having to prove ourselves to the world free from having to prove ourselves to God, and subsequently able to live peaceably with all. So let me ask you something. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? For many folks, it's tempting to keep Jesus at arm's length, to keep a bit of respectful distance between us and Jesus. In a global world like ours, it's easy to look around and think, isn't Jesus just one of many ways to peace? If it works for you, great, but there are really lots of good options And C.S. Lewis, he was well acquainted with this temptation. And in Mere Christianity, he tries to show how it's not going to work with Jesus. He writes this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man who said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's like a fried egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me to be obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and he is God. Lewis is right. Jesus Christ is either a lunatic, a liar, or he is Lord, son 
of the living God. Jesus isn't one of the good options on the God buffet line. Jesus is the only meal that won't poison you to hell. So the fundamental question for us, the fundamental place of righteousness that we need and the peace that we lack is who is this Jesus? Because if he is who he claims to be, then not only is there the hope of salvation, there is the hope of a free fellowship with others. The hope of a free friendship and a deep community into a diverse and global and historic family of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. A family that cuts across time, culture, ethnicity, option, politics, and preference. A family that is knit together into the love of a good father, bound up in the boundless love of God's Son, and kept forever by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. This Lord Jesus Christ is our foundation, not merely of righteousness and peace, but a rich fellowship. We said from the beginning that the good news of the gospel in Romans is the good news that God saves and God reigns. Peace and righteousness are a consequence and fruit of God's work of salvation in Christ. But they don't just terminate between God and myself, though they reorient and change us at a fundamental level in that relationship. But as a consequence of what God does in us, he frees us to now live lives marked by that peace and that fellowship and that righteousness horizontally in the world around us. In just a minute, we're going to step into a time of fellowship. We don't do this a lot. Actually, I think this is probably the first time we've done it in Mosaic history. And let me tell you why we're doing it. We're doing it because over the last year, there have been many folks that have come into the life of this church that weren't here a year ago. Maybe you're one of those folks. And it can feel very easy to walk into something and feel like, well, it seems like everybody here already knows one another. It kind of feels like the doors are shut. There's an opportunity in front of us to say, listen, I know it's a little bit weird. I know it's a little bit strange. But because I have been reconciled to God, because I'm free from his judgment, because I have been given peace with God, I now have that as a gift to give to those around me. So we wanted to do this meeting today a little bit differently, to worship together and to practice fellowship. I know that may make you feel uncomfortable. I'm an introvert too, you know? And I know it can feel weird to feel like, man, I showed up today and this is my first Sunday and now I'm sitting with these people, okay? You might be sitting with people that you already know very well. Maybe, maybe you're sitting by yourself. If so, pull other people together. Scatter about. Go to a table where there's empty chairs. Go in the back and find a place. But I want to invite you to do this. There's some questions we've laid out for you. But if you're at a table with people that you feel like, those are just like prompts, Okay, you don't have to roll through them, okay? This is not a quiz. There's not a test at the end. Um, uh, but those are just prompts for you to practice a little bit of fellowship together. We can do this because you don't have to worry about what other people think about you at the table. You're free from that in Christ. And you don't have to worry about, man, gosh, I, I feel like I don't know that if this person disagrees with me on something or if we're not the exact same, we can't be best friends. That's not the invitation. The invitation is if you are in Christ Jesus, your family in Christ with one another. And if you're not, then the invitation stands open to you today. Come and be a part of the family of God. Come and have peace with God and the righteousness that you need. Let me tell you something. At the table, there is always room for more imperfect sinners to come to God in Christ by grace through faith. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and mercy in Christ. We pray that as we enter into a time of fellowship together, that you would encourage us and bless us. We pray that you would strengthen our fellowship with one another, that you would remind us, God, that you've invited us to live as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
that you've invited us to be a part of a church where anonymity is not a value, where we can be known and we can know one another. We love you, God. We pray these things in the name of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm